Welcome to The Leaders Who Care, a podcast powered by Dynamis Group. We are here to give the stage and support to those committed to create a positive and lasting impact, way beyond the profits and margins, the leaders of the world who care for others and serve a bigger purpose. Join us on the journey of creating a better, more caring world. And now to your host, Stoyan Yankov. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to another episode of The Leaders Who Care. My name is Toyan, and as you know, we are on a mission to invite and feature some of the most caring, most impactful leaders from all corners of the world. And I'm very excited to welcome this morning Jakob. Uh, Jakob is, uh, how can I say? I, I don't even know how to exactly introduce you, but I can say a, an impact uh, maker, community builder, ecosystem creator, bridge creator, a connector. <laughs> Jakob has been uh, <laughs> born in the beautiful country of Sweden, but uh, as he likes to say, he's uh, British-American by education and very Balkan by marriage and the location he chose to live in. Um, but we will hear more about his story from himself. Jakob, how are you this beautiful morning in Tirana? I am doing very well. Thank you, Stoyan. It's a real pleasure to be here with you. Again, I treasured the time we had together the other day in uh, Maribor. It's amazing when you have connected with somebody and if you're away from each other for two, three years, you know, in the, in the real world, that when you finally get together again, it's like it was yesterday. And we just picked up all these conversations that, you know, were out there and we didn't have. It was, it was really great seeing you again. And thanks for this opportunity. And we did drink uh, a half a gallon of coffee. That's uh, yes, that's it always that. helps <laughs> at any time of the day, I think. And it was served in a very interesting laboratory style, which I kind of enjoyed as well. So yeah, very much appreciated. Again, good to be all. here. Good to see you again. <laughs> good to have you uh, in the Balkans. And uh, actually, just to to kick off this conversation, I would love to hear the short version of your story. How does a sweet end up in Bulgaria, in the Balkans, and start <laughs> getting excited about making a positive impact in the community here. Yeah, well, yeah. I don't know if there's a short version, but I guess we have some time pressure. So that's a good thing. Uh, I would like to say that it was all planned, but I think it was just a collection of banana peels that I slipped on, and uh, I ended up in... Plovdiv, Bulgaria, in September 1993. And I remember it vividly because it, the whole town smelled of baked peppers. So that smell sticks with me forever. And anybody from the Balkans will know that baked peppers is very important for culture and for people's uh, eating habits. So that, that was time I, I, I came down. I had a joint venture with uh, IKEA the furniture giant. Our ambition at that time was to set up production in, the, in Bulgaria around, uh, in our case, it was lamps. Uh, so we were looking to source from local producers metal, plastic, and wood parts that would go into the lamps, and that would then go for export and sold all over, over the world. So we had a pretty good idea, idea of what 
Bulgaria had as far as talent and machinery and so on that they would be able to produce uh, at a certain level if we could just tweak it. At least that was the plan on paper. Uh, that was probably the time when I realized that being brought up in Sweden, <clears throat> which, as you said, it, it is a special place. Unfortunately, too many Swedes think we are a normal place. We are not normal at all. Uh, in the sense that it was a very perfect childhood. Uh, it, it was a perfect place. And there's a lot of non-perfect places out there in the world. <clears throat> and relating to these other places with Swedish eyes was, to say the least, uh, very challenging. I did not understand anything. Uh, people might have told me things, and I thought I understood the words coming out of their mouth, but I did not, because they meant something else. Uh, and that was the, you know, I would say, what made it very, very difficult, but it also made it uh, very challenging, meaning real and fun. And I think that's the challenge that if you're brought up, I think, in some countries like Sweden, which, if I now look back, is a country that in many ways have reached the mountain top, life becomes very easy, too easy. Uh, they don't have real problems anymore. Like in what I found going east, even before Bulgaria, you know, when I worked in the Soviet Union and so on, was that suddenly there were people with real everyday problems that probably my great-grandparents had in Sweden. So it was, for me, traveling east in the 90s in Eastern Europe was probably a bit of a time travel. I went to back to see my grandparents and you could feel it uh, in the people that there was a sense of change, which was, I think, very disruptive because for many people in Eastern Europe, it came as a surprise. Uh, and this transitional change, I think we in the West, we take it for granted that it was all for good. But for people, it was very, very upsetting for their values, norms, way of life. Everything was turned upside down almost overnight. And I think we should cut them a little bit of slack in experiencing that journey that I think they took a journey of five, 10 years that maybe we took in my great grandparents' generation for 50, 100 years. It all got into, into one. So... That's, that's kind of the background that, you know, I was parachuted into with a great belief of, you know, bringing good things to Bulgaria. And then that's kind of where it got started. And, you know, I, I got married there. Uh, the kids are born in, in Plovdiv. Uh, and, and that took the journey off in all different kinds of directions. So not much was planned, really. But 
it was the seizing the moment of the banana peels that are always thrown in front of you in life. Uh, and, and then, of course, you spend 30 years in one place. It shapes you as well as a person. So I, I, I mean, I hope I'm at the point now that I've taken the best of being Swedish and the best of being uh, Balkan. Uh, I think that's where I am today. Meaning I, I, I speak a little more freely now than I did as a Swede. <laughs> and you stuck around for, you said, uh, close to 30 years. I wonder, you are still somebody external, right? That was not born there, was not raised there. And I wonder, what did you find some of the positive features and uh, characteristics of this region? Uh, yes, it's always good to start on the positive side because normally in the Balkans we will start on the negative and that will usually take an hour and a half uh, to, to plow through. So I think in general what the Balkans and they need to get better at is looking at the, the bright side of life, you know, to quote the, the gods of Monty Python. Uh, it's everywhere around and i think the key is to compare and it's always easy to compare with somebody who they think is better right but there is what is the definition of better well, if if we only measure by you know you look at the world in systems if you only look at from the economic system we will always and uh, we are quite at the bottom of every index right but that's just one indicator and i think you know looking back of what really made me fall in love with the balkans and the people and and so on is this is combination of what i will call a life work balance uh, that yes economically we are poor that's that's a fact you know we will catch up that's just a question of time Uh, but there are a lot of other things in life. You know, there's the, the weather, it's the, the food culture, it's the time, I think, to take time to talk to other people live. Uh, I always love the fact that the Balkans are more direct in communication. They say it as it is, and it's up to you to deal with it. You don't have to overthink everything all the time. I think they are uh, more freer in that sense of communicating. While in the West now it has become too complicated to communicate freely on, on topics. So and 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 again, you know, coming from the north, just The, the number of sunny days is enough to, you know, cheer you up. And, but if you come from a sunny place, you kind of take that for granted. So it's, you know, it's, it's always good to compare, right? So I think it's a combination of, of factors. And then I think more than anything, I think what's attractive is to be part of a change process. That way you can see change and it's not constant improvement it's of course a roller coaster ride if you transition from 
a very totalitarian state to a supposedly democratic state, from a planned economy to a free economy, from not speaking your mind at all to having no filters about what you can say wherever you want to say it. I mean, to be part of that journey, that's special. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm happy that I was able to be part of it and then, you know, make your small contributions to, to, uh, to other people's journeys. Let's, let's put it that way. And then in the end of the day, it's, you know, the collection of really, really good stories. Because what else do you have when you sit on the bench at an older age, you know? It's going to be memories and stories, you know, that of, of things you have done. And I think if you want to do things in the real world, I think the Balkans right now is, wow, this is the place to be. And I love there is a dog barking in the background just when you are yes. delivering the the key message about the Balkans. So I was so going to have gonna... two disclaimers today. You know, whatever I say, it's my thought alone. I don't speak for anybody else. And the second disclaimer is my neighbor's dog. He's big. He's an idiot. But we love him nonetheless. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a Balkan vibe. Um, yeah. And I just want to say thank you so much, Jakub, for your commitment all these years to stick around with us here in the Balkans and, and despite our sometimes very stubborn mentality uh, to, to be patient and to continue doing the work that you do. And I'll be actually happy to hear if you can share with us uh, a little bit more about what you guys do in the region, what have you been working on? And of course, how do you continue to stay passionate about making a positive impact in the region? Right. So my, my latest effort is around the program called the Swiss Entrepreneurship Program. So it's, it's, it's quite clear who is funding it. It's, it's the Swiss taxpayers. And I work for an organization called uh, Swiss Contact. It's a private foundation sitting in Zurich. And uh, the agency to whom we report is called the Secretary for Economic affairs so in short seco in switzerland so the the mandate we have as a program is <clears throat> around i would say encouraging startup growth and then looking at ecosystem development and i think if the question is about why why do we do it why does the swiss go down this road i think it's <clears throat> Very much around, okay, if we look at, in Bernie Sanders' language, it's income inequality, and I like to see it around income inequality among countries. And I think if there's too much income inequality between European countries, it creates pressure for young people and other people to move from one place to the other. So this kind, if we can leverage this out, a little bit, as I say, for, for, for Bulgaria or for the Balkans, you know, that, that means that more young people will stick around at home and that will make a lot of the older people happy, right? If, if, if all the young people leave the Balkans, you will have a lot of unhappy 
grandmothers and grandfathers uh, around the Balkans. I think in, in the essence, this is for me what it's all about. It's about the gen lifting the general sense of well-being. Now, see, well-being is different from income. Uh, it's, it's not only about the money. Uh, it's, it's, money is part of it. No illusion about it. You can do more if you have money than if you have less money. Uh, that, that's just a fact. But it's not enough. It's, it's about the healthcare system. It's education. Do we take care of the old people? Can we fix the roads? You know, it's all, all a lot of other variables in, in, in that sense. I think for our program, though, is that we look at entrepreneurship as the tool to contribute to a better economic system, right? And in that way, you, you contribute to well-being. And I think entrepreneurship is the kryptonite. It's, it's the one that can really disrupt the bad parts about the Balkan system. And the bad parts, we are talking about an overbelief in the state. Uh, like the, the state can and will fix everything for us. And I don't blame anybody. If you've lived... 2,000 years in the Byzantine Empire, after that in the Ottoman Empire, and then with the communists and some kings, all very authoritarian regimes. It's kind of the narrative have been sold a certain way. I think that leave it to the state. Uh, we'll take care of it, you know, or, or whatever authority. And I, I think entrepreneurship and entrepreneurs is kind of what I would say the the people who are think about the world a little differently and they also take action to do something about it and so i think in general and and sweden again is a great example if you go back to sweden and you ask people around the world what do you know about sweden they will mention abba maybe ikea and our amazing social welfare system, right? This, this is the classic. But nobody will ask, how do you fund? Not ABBA, I'm sure they're fine. IKEA is fine. We know who they get the money. But how do you finance this grand social uh, welfare system? Well, somebody pays taxes. And who are those? Well, these are our incredible entrepreneurs. So going back in history... Sweden was built on blood, sweat, and tears of a ruthless capitalist system, you know, that created companies like Electrolux, Ikea, Alfa Laval, Tetra Pak. I just go on and on and on. And now we have Spotify and this small company called Skype some years ago. You know, there, there's this red line of very, very entrepreneurial spirit in Sweden. All right. And then... What has been put on top of that is then a social contract by which the state makes sure that certain services and well-being is available to, to all citizens. So the Balkans need to hear both stories. And the important part is that one is the horse and one is the wagon. You can't just focus in on the wagon. The wagon is the state, but the horse is us, the citizens and the private, the private sector, the entrepreneurs. If you don't have the horse, well, 
that wagon is not going to take you anywhere. It might look good, but it's not going anywhere. So I think we need to have both of this. And going back to our program, I think for me, we've spent seven years on this now. It, this is very much what it is about. It's about mindset change. Right? It's about looking at the challenges ahead a little differently because they're the startups and entrepreneurs are special in that they are disruptive. You know, they look for new solutions. They don't just comply to whatever is, right? They want to find new ways, creativity and so on. And I think this is very much uh, what's needed, right? So how do we do it? Well, we are taking an approach where it has to be around the entrepreneur, no, nobody else, right? And, and the idea is that entrepreneurs need certain things to grow. One of them is money. We always know that part, but it's not the most important in most cases. The more, more important is, do you as an entrepreneur have access to skills, expertise, and network? Do you know enough people around the world? Because Balkan was locked out of the clubs in the history for a long time. All different clubs, we were always locked out. And now we want in. Some of them have really got far into the club. And now it's out. But without knowing you know, who to call for different topics and new challenges outside of you know, your town, your country, uh, this is super important. So what, what, what we are about is kind of bringing international entrepreneurs in uh, either as mentors or investors or just motivators to meet with organizations and uh, entrepreneurs here in the Balkans and then usually the magic happens you know? but our KPIs is, are, are very clear you know, what we need and want is Balkan entrepreneurs and companies to do well and hire more people and generate more private capital. So I see there's a difference there, public money or private money. Going back to Sweden, Sweden was built on export. So we were taking in new money from other places, right? And that's the mentality I think that we need to get. We are very small countries in the Balkans. So we have to pick our niche and we have to be really, really good at that. And then start, you know, bringing in fresh money. If it's in Albania from tourism or if it's from tech and startups. In, in so it doesn't really matter. But we need to find our, we can't be good at everything. That's the, the old state factory mentality. You know, you are, you're producing everything, but pretty crappy, right? Or you produce something a little tighter niche, you know, and, and, and you do it very well. So... We, we are funded by public money, but we are trying to make the most of the private. And I think that's, that's, a, that's a challenge as far as development. We are in the business of international development. That's, you know, it's economic development on all different kinds of levels. But even there, I think we as Swiss Entrepreneurship Program, we are trying to do it a little bit different in that there is a 
for us, there is a realization that the kids have grown up. And you know, the, the entrepreneurs of 1990 is not the same as the entrepreneurs of 2022. And that means that we as uh, actors that are here to support, we have to change to accommodate. So for us, it's, it must be demand-driven. You know, it must be that the, the founders and the organizations here know what they want and you respect them for it. You, know, and you try to take them to the next level. Again, the kids have grown up. It must be an indirect approach. It means that it's not us as a foreign entity that should come in and set things up. No, you should work with people that are building their own things in their own backyard. This is their home, their nation state, their economy. They have to grow up. They have to step up. It's not our job. You know, that's, called, that's a different system. It's called colonialism, right? Now we are past that, right? But that means local actors have to step up, right? So I think, and another very important principle is that we don't subsidize anything. I think we are at the level now where there is enough wealth in the system. There's enough successful entrepreneurs in the Balkans. Sorry, your time. You have to step up. It's they that should be the leaders of the ecosystems. They should be the one funding incubators, accelerators. They should be the business angels. We will support them. We will train them. We will incentivize them. We will you know, connect them with uh, equal actors around the world. But in the end of the day, if we don't have the core of entrepreneurs, we can't expect much change. And I think if you look around all of, of all of the Balkans, you know, on, on where is the what I will call the the bigger challenges, yeah? and and I, I find it in all all the countries, and I I say it's very much around uh, how should we say plurality. It's 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 a lack of plurality. This is one of my favorite words. You know, and what does that mean? Uh, and I've thought a bit about it. Uh, you think about Bulgaria is a good example, and I will always take, you know, for all my other Balkan friends and kids, you know, I, I, I have to admit, you know, I, I suffer from a Bulgaria syndrome in that I, I entered the Balkans in Bulgaria first. So I, I relate everything first with, with Bulgaria, right? So around plurality, if, if you look at municipalities, for example, depending on the country, the municipality have different levels of power, meaning assets. Right? In Bulgaria and Romania in particular, the uh, municipalities are quite strong. It means they can collect some taxes, they own land and, and, and buildings, and they have the right to make deals with foreign investors, for example. In many other countries, uh, they don't have much power, meaning they have to go and beg central government. Now, if you have powerful municipality, you know, who are then there to satisfy the will, the needs of the local population, you suddenly have what we will call a power struggle between central and local. You take local power away, there is only one. 
And whatever happens in whichever system you are, if there is no plurality in the political system, us as individuals have very little limited space to, to operate, right? So what happens when you create that space? Again, I always give the example of the tourism industry <clears throat> in Bulgaria. So you have Sunny Beach, Albena, and those large resorts. This is now an economic powerhouse. We, we might like it or not, that's something else, but it's a <clears throat> great powerhouse. No central politician will travel to Burgas and tell these guys what to do. So what happens? Within that space, suddenly, we as individuals, we have a choice. Hmm, I can go work with the government, but I can go work also with the private sector in the tourism industry, for example, and have a good life. You take out that private sector, suddenly you have no choice. You have to go begging to the state. Just like you had to go beg before for the Communist Party, or you had to go beg the Sultan, or you had to go beg the Byzantine Empire, right? It, it's, a, it's a pyramid. Right? And that is the one that we need to break up. And to break up the pyramid, the tool we had now is private sector. It's the entrepreneurs that can create that space. So the stronger the private sector gets, the more space it will create for critical thinking, creative thinking. Because let's be honest, the other system don't like creative people. They don't like critical thinking people because they're difficult to, to convince around election time, right? It's better if all the, how should we say, young people have left the country. I'm left with the grandmothers and grandparents that they can easily manipulate in, in the next election. So I think plurality is, is the number one topic. You need to have plurality in the economic system, but it's also about thought, you know, about in the media. Is, the, is there a multiple narrative or not? Or is it just conformity to one truth? And like it's always been in the Balkans. So very long and philosophical answer on that one, but- uh... I love it and I want to dig deeper actually. Um, <clears throat> we had this conversation when we drank all this half a gallon of coffee in uh, Slovenia. <laughs> when we discussed the mindset in the Balkans, not just within each of the states, but in between them. Now, I'm in Estonia at the moment. I lived 10 years in Denmark. I got to say, the sense of community, the sense of sharing, this entrepreneurial community, everybody coming up and supporting each other, mentoring, reinvesting, uh, introductions, connections. Um, I feel like we, we have a lot of work to do in this direction. And so you, you, you mentioned already, right? There's, there's success cases when it comes to companies, entrepreneurs, there's, there's individual and not just individual now, many cases of, of great companies being built in the region. But I feel like we're missing on the community and the ecosystem quite a bit. Yeah. And, and I just want to hear your perspective on that and, and what could we do better in order to create this mindset of sharing and community? Yeah. Uh, spot on, spot on. I think this is, this is a challenge of culture and culture is one that changes the slowest, right? But it's also what the, the clever people say that culture eats strategy for breakfast. 
I think culture eats everything. Culture decides what you can expect of a society and a state and an, an economy. So I, I always looked at, <clears throat> remember there was this, or oh, there is this video game or game or whatever called Minecraft. And, and I understood from the kids, there are two modes there. I can do survival mode. Uh, it's the free one, the free version, I believe. And then you have creative mode. And I think bo the Balkans have been stuck in survival mode for a really, really long time. I remember when I went to Bulgaria in the 90s, people would tell me with pride that all we need is a hole in the ground, some bread, and we will survive. And, and that, I think, is... Very difficult to understand as a Swedish person. Uh, <clears throat> but if you have had 3,000, 5,000 years of hardship, you know, then surviving is, you know, is pretty good measure. But I always used to tell them, cool, you know, so you are good at surviving. But I think this model will be difficult to explain to your kids. They might have other expectations. And I think... Survival is very good in the sense that it has prepared you for bad times. Like Balkans can take a bad day very differently than, than others, I think, if it's COVID or something else that comes through. Uh, it's a different approach. That's fine. But the survival mode also had a lot of cynicism in it. Uh, it's, it's the relation between the individual and the state. And I always was puzzled by the duality of it. You know, like I as an individual in, Bul in, in the state, in, in, in the Balkans, I would always say, I hate the state. I hate everything about the state. I wish it would go away. At the same time, whenever the opportunity was there, I would brown nose the state for favors for myself. And then the rest of the time, I will try to figure out ways to cheat the state. So it was a very mixed and confusing relationship. And it doesn't get anywhere, but I understand where it comes from. You know, it's, it's this relation with a very, very conservative, hierarchical, patriarchal, whatever system that was, right? So we need to move now from survival mode to creative mode. And creative mode means we have to open up a little bit. We cannot be only for ourselves surviving with a piece of bread in the hole. We have to get out of the hole and start building communities. We have to start building relationships. And we're very good at talking. We are very good at communicating. But we need to get to the new, next steps. You know, you, you, we're good at the dialogue. We can get together and we can hammer things out. And, you know, if you have a couple of rakeas, you know, the plants get more and more elaborate. <clears throat> Sometimes you wake up in the morning, the plan was not that great, but anyway, you start over. But now we need to go to the next step, which is really about collaboration. And then you get up against the biggest boogeyman of all, trust. Because we have a context that have not encouraged trust for a really, really long time. And how do you get around that? Uh, then 
the challenge is, which I don't think there is a manual for, for building trust more than trial and error. You know, you have to try out different relationship. I think, yes, you start by talking and then do some activities together that might not involve money, but, you know, get together, do something together if it's a workshop or it doesn't matter what. And from there, you move towards cooperation. So I think it's, it's about, for me, it's more about stop talking about it and start doing it. We know what needs to be done. And, and we, we, we are getting, it, it was not like that in, in the 90s and early 2000s that people would even talk to each other. Because people in the different sectors, if you are in the private sector, to take two textile factories to talk to each other, no way. We compete. The same in the ecosystem. You take different support organizations. Ah, oh, why should I talk to this guy across the, in the same town if we compete for the same honeypot? Again, we are at the stage now that, remember where I said before, if you look internally for the money source, if the money source is the foreign donors community or the state, yeah, you will have competition. But if you're competing in the whole world against and with the whole world, if the money is coming from abroad, suddenly you look at your colleague down the street and say, ah, you know, Ah, you're in that niche. I'm in this other niche. So we don't really compete at all. Hmm. Maybe we can talk about things. All right. And I think there is the challenge also in that we have to let go of egos a little bit. We have to accept that we might not know everything about everything all the time. You know, macho culture is cool, but it gets silly at some point. You know, you, uh, we have to be open, more open to learning new things. And then, of course, there are things like shame culture, that uh, failure is lethal, uh, all right? Is, is, I see you nodding there. So, yeah, I mean... No, but that's, that's specifically for the region. It's, I think it's something that you can find anywhere. I've worked in organizations in, in the UK, in the West, and, and you can find this in big organizations within the culture of organization that I don't want to experiment. I don't want to try things out because I better be safe, right? But but generally, if you go more East and Southeast, uh, when we work with uh, programs with entrepreneurs, with startups, it's very hard, um, This this kind of... Yeah, I, I have to win. There's, there's, there's no space for failure because the, the, the external pressure, um, the, you know, uh, you start your own company and every second person comes to you. But the, when are you going to find a real job? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, no, I uh, think, I mean, you have a lot of this, I call it uh, the dinner table, table conversations, right? You have, and many houses, grandmother is still in the house as well. So you have to try to convince her as well. It's not only your parents you have to convince, you know, that entrepreneurship is, is where you wanted to go. But I think it's a lot about risk-taking also. I, I, I think the, you know, if it's playing it safe, you're back in survival mode. You're back in that hole. You know, and, you know, sure, you took that job at the municipality. No offense, we need them as well, but, you know, not so many probably. 
and we need more entrepreneurs. And your grandma might be really happy about telling her friends that you work in a bank. But we, this is like a football team of just goalkeepers. You know, we need more offensive players. And if you're going to make offensive players, you have to start taking risks. So you mean you need to live a little. And I think in general, for me, it's, it's, that's what it's all about. We live in a real world in the end of the day. You have to go out and kind of build things. You need, you need to dare. You need, like, I think, uh, be brave. You, know, you, you have to face up to the fact that not everybody would love you all the time. And if you do things, things will break. But as I said before, if you don't break things, oh, where are all the jokes then? Where are all the memories of, you know, the, it's, life is ups and downs, sideways turns, you know, you never know what's coming. But if you're not out there, you know, trying to build something, you will never know. And you can't cover it up with, you know, with Twitter and Facebook posts. You know, you still haven't lived. Sorry. You know, it's, I mean, that's, that's mine for, for, the, for the future. I think we are trying to build some kind of virtual reality for ourselves. As far as, you know, I, if I hit my knee on the table, it still hurts. You know, so I, I know I'm still in the real world, right? And, and I think for reality is much closer in the Balkans. Well, it's, it's easier to see the consequences of bad decisions, but also to see you know, when things are going well. Uh, so I think and this, is, this is a topic I want to yeah. dig into a little bit more, uh, which is the there's a lot of things going well. And I'm very happy that we see more of these success stories and the so-called new role models being built. Because you probably will agree with me, the past 10, 15 years, somehow entrepreneurs and founders from the region would always look for inspiration in the US, like the Silicon Valley companies, uh, you know, Facebooks and uh, Amazon and uh, all these kind of conglomerates now, not that anymore startups, but but the, the, everything that we kind of learn used to come from the US. And, and in many ways, many of the things are just not relatable. Because you, you, you're not in Silicon Valley. You don't have this access yeah. to resources, network, uh, ideas, talent. It's a different reality. It's a different culture. And, and I, I really hope we can, we can start inspiring more people to look within and to look around the neighbor, the, the person next door that's actually building something amazing and, and learn and share these learnings and knowledge. Uh, so I wonder if you can also kind of give us a perspective on, on that topic. Yeah. Well, as I said, I was, I was very much educated in the U.S. So I, but that was a different America. It was in the 80s. Uh, so I think if America sneezes, you know, Europe catches a cold. That's, we are still very much we might feel that we are very european we are very swedish we are very bulgarian we are very whatever in europe but it's incredible the power of the english language well like 
we're chatting away here in our second languages, you know, in, in English. That means our narrative is very much controlled by the English media, English history <clears throat> slash American, right? I don't speak very well German, so I don't follow German, let alone France, which I don't speak. You know? So I, th I think we are living in an, an era of Americanism still. Uh, and same thing there. We have to kind of pick the good parts uh, out of what is America, you know. And for every good thing, for every, you know, defense of freedom and liberties and really believe in entrepreneurship as, you know, a change agent, you can come up with a hundred things that are not so great in America today, you know. And just vacation. I mean... Two weeks vacation, really? I mean, even if we try to, no, no, no European would say, oh, this seems like a really good thing. I'm going to just take two weeks vacation and try to impress my friends by working 16 hours per day. Well, okay, that's the American dream. Let them have it. But that's not the European dream. I don't think, and I think Southern Europe and Northern Europe, we can all agree on that. You know, I think our strength is in our culture and in our history. And history for me is very close to culture. It kind of sets the tone and pace and direction and so on. And we can't ignore it. It's in us. We're hardwired with both culture and history. And again, you know, focus on the good stuff. What makes Europe special? You know, just travel around Europe and look at all the happy foreigners from all over the world coming visiting and they're all happy here why because there's something called a life work balance you know, that we, we take our time to enjoy life a little bit you know it's not only about work work is one dimension only you know and i'm as guilty as the next person of sometimes getting too excited about work and working a bit too much you know and then you have to take a step back and say okay slow down Take some other hours for yourself and family and other and friends and good stuff. Uh, and enjoy culture, enjoy the food, enjoy the weather. And, and whatever that balance is for you. Sure, I mean, my American friends would say, my life is in balance. Well, good for you, but don't try to export it. <laughs> you know, you can have your, it's culture, your culture. It's not, not our culture. And I, I, I give you one anecdote. I, I, about this, and because I had big challenges, as I said in the beginning, in Bulgaria and making our factory owners do what we wanted to do. And what we wanted was a good product that was good enough for the world market. Full stop. Whatever that product was, if it was skis from you know, our friends in Cepelare or if it was you know, furniture, doesn't matter. And at one point, I told our directors, then that we have to come with a compromise uh, if we're going to make this work. And they were like, ah, oh, okay, well, what's the compromise? And I said, okay, between nine and five, you have to become more Swedish. Uh, and that means you get to job on time, you produce this product at the right quality, we're going to send it at the right price, and we're going to you know, have successful export. And they're like, ah, okay, fine, we're going to do that. Well, what's your compromise? And I said, every day, 
Monday to Friday, after work, I will go with you in the Mechana, and I eat one shop's kasalata, and I'll drink two rakias. And they're like, ah, oh, what kind of compromise is that? I said, oh, for me, it's a big compromise. I'm from Sweden. We only drink on Fridays. Right? It's culture. Right? But culture is culture, but we still live in an economic system that has certain requirements on us that we cannot compromise with. Did, did Whatever you do after, anyway, doesn't matter. Yeah. Did, did it work? <laughs> like, did, did that uh, kind of strategy work? And I think actually that's yeah. a good, that's an inspiration for not just countries, but businesses, leaders who are listening right now that's respecting the... So how did it work for, for you? And uh... I think it worked out well. You know, I, I, I don't like Rakia anymore. I, I stopped drinking that. But no, it worked, you know. But I think, I think the essence of and the key of the Rakia is the time you spend together with them talking about what needs to be done. You can't replace that human-to-human contact especially if you come from different cultures we are all different yes if i cut my arm it we will all bleed yes we are the same in that sense but as cultures as we are very different and we can't assume that we automatically understand each other nobody will understand the swede in the 90s what <laughs> In Bulgaria, it needed a lot of explanation. It's not enough that I produced like a 100-page manual of this is what we need to do. No, they will all be like, why, why, why? That's when you need to have that time together to explain you know, where it's coming from, what's the benefit, we do it this way. And then every now and then they'll surprise you and they will say, you know, this one and that one. No, I don't think so. Okay, let's try it. See if we can do it without that one. And sometimes, yeah, it works. So I think, yeah, communication. And and talking about special things about the region, when you look into the entrepreneurship ecosystem, the the traits of characters in in the Balkans, what would you say are the three really strong traits, strengths, superpowers? That sometimes we tend to take for granted, but but these are strengths for entrepreneurs from the region that we should maybe double down on. Yeah. Well, one, I'm going back to my survival mode and the, the hole in the ground. I think we are natural bootstrappers. Like we can fight it out for a really long time. Just give us a soup and we'll go on for a month. You know, so I think this, this is a really great departure point. It's like there's very high threshold for panic. You're like, oh, we don't have money. We need to go fundraise now. No, let's go talk to grandma, you know, and see if we can squeeze out of her. You know, or we take a third job just to get through, right? So I think the natural bootstrapper attitude is number one. The, the second one, I think we are getting more and more disruptive, meaning more critical and with more critical, giving space for more creativity in the way we come up with solutions. We're getting braver. We're thinking bigger. It used to be, oh, maybe I can make this work in my street or my town or my, my region of the country. Now it's more like global. And then I think the other is that we want to show the world that we can do it. 
uh, like Balkan has a bad connotation. All right, it's. I, I think we should change it. I think we should talk more Southeast Europe, show that we are part of a bigger thing called Europe. We are not like Europe and the Balkans. No, Balkan is Europe. Uh, and I think there is this sense now that we have come out of the hole. We're going into creative mode, and now we're going to show you what we are made of. We're going to show that we are good as anybody else, right? And you go back and you look in each country. The only ones that have that attitude right now, it's our sports people. You know, if you not going to mention any of them, but if you go back in the last 30 years, who are the ones that have really punched above the belt internationally from the Balkans? It's our international sports stars. We need to get the economies, the entrepreneurs to think the same way. There's nothing, no excuses, nothing holding us back. On the opposite, we know what the tough time is, you know, and use that as, as one of the driving forces. A lot of people, they, they, don't, they will crack at anything, you know, in the West. You know, the wind is blowing a little too much. Oh, I'll stay at home. I'll catch a cold, you know. <laughs> this is, I, I would say, the, the big three for, for me here on top of my head. Sure, there's that is, others. That is fantastic. Yeah. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing them because as, as we keep on talking about that, we tend to take them for granted and especially in this reason, like to focus a little bit more on what's not working well, what is what is wrong, what is the obstacles. We'll still do the job, but, but kind of the conversations go in this direction. And the more we can shift the conversation towards what's working well, what are our strengths, what are our resources. I mean, it's a lot cheaper to hire people in the region, right? That's a resource. Uh, yeah. People are tenacious. That's a resource. People want to prove themselves. That's a resource. People are smart and educated. That's a resource. What else? Let's put all those things together. And based on that, actually double down on that instead of let's hear what Mark Zuckerberg has to say about building company culture. Maybe there are some good points that you can learn and get inspired by, but, but it's a completely different context, right? Yeah. And we have a question from the audience, which is kind of general, but I think in the context of what we talk about, you might uh, you might find it interesting. So uh, there is a question from someone. Jakub, great discussion. In your mind, what are the most important <laughs> skills entrepreneurs must learn? Yeah, I would... I think top two or three. I think one is, I would say, Western business communication skills. So there are expectations when you communicate with a foreign company about the speed, the language, you know, the response time and, and so on. I think you got to get that. You, you can't be a very successful company and write very strange emails in, in language and meaning, super long sentences. People get lost, you know. So I think... These very basic business skills is one. Then I think the other two is uh, how to make more money. So it's around sales. It seems for us to be the number one topics now. Any kind of sales, if it's on, on LinkedIn, how to use it, if it's cold calls, uh, trade mission, onboarding international, go-to-market strategies, 
everything around taking the company to the next level and earn more money. So the growth part. Uh, and the third one, I think it's about how to raise money. Now here is, I'm talking about raising private capital, not getting a grant from government or free money. Uh, and I think for these 30 years, we have, we have been gone too good at, how should we say, relying on free money, meaning grants coming either from government or international donor organizations. Now we have to up the game and we have to be able to present ourselves in front of investors, be they VC funds or angels. Again, you, the kids have grown up, but they have to show that they have grown up. So that means they have to present themselves, the pitch, the financial documents, everything on the level of the expectations of the investor. So it's, it's a little different than, you know, getting away with a, I don't know, entrepreneurship 101 program in rural, whatever. It's, it's a different game now. So they if need I to can, step up. Yeah. If I can add the fourth one, um, just so I can contribute with one myself. That will be humble tenacity, letting go of the ego on the one side and mm. not trying to always look perfect, be perfect, you know, have every decision that you make to be the perfect decision. No, uh, you're going to, you have to be fast. You got to have a really fast speed and you have to also be willing to to admit your mistakes with your co-founders, with your team, with investors, to, to be, to have the strength to be vulnerable, yeah. not from a place of a victim, from a place of a strength, but also having that in mind to have this big and ambitious vision, to, to know we can do it, to keep on going, to have this tenacity while letting go of your ego. Yeah. I, it's a journey, I think, for every individual to get to that point. You know, Jacob in 1990 is very different from Jacob 2022. You know, there are certain things that come with experience uh, and gray hairs or whoever have hair still right and many many glasses of fractal. and i think the other yeah. one is to in general to try to have some fun along the way you know fun is not a weakness humor is still a very powerful tool try to use it more balkan is full of great great stories and laughs you know you should use that to uh, to to your advantage you know because there's stories out of reality of Gloom and bloom, you know, it's, it's, and, and that combination is very powerful. Thank you so much, Jakub. So we kind of nailed five of those. Uh, hopefully people find there it you. useful. And I want to wrap up the whole conversation with, with one final question. There's a lot of our listeners who are executives in international companies uh, in the West, in the US, in the UK, uh, Western Europe. We have entrepreneurs and founders listening as well. What are the opportunities for them in the Balkan region? What uh, what do you guys do that they can get involved with specifically, but generally also what opportunities they can find in the region? Great, great ending. Uh, well, as I said in the beginning, we are very much bringing entrepreneurs together. So one of our key strengths is when we can bring great entrepreneurs like Stoyan Janko, for example, you know, to spend more time with our ecosystem, 
So we have two ways of doing that. You can either work with us as a short-term expert or you can be an entrepreneur in residence. So if I may, you go to swissep.org and you can look there at what we call the Entrepreneurs in Residence uh, Initiative, which is usually people come as volunteers for about a month or more. Uh, we embed them in the ecosystem. We, we pay for your flight. We pay for your Airbnb. And then your, how should we say, role is to try to meet up with and work with uh, as many organizations and startup founders as possible. Share what you are good at, your passion. Many cases that have developed into individual business relationships, because as you said before, we have a, we have a pool of incredibly value for money talent. That's how my wife tells me I should say things are not cheap in the Balkans. There's value for money. You know? So I, I hold that course strictly. And I think bringing Balkan and the West the markets and the talent together, that's where the magic is. And that's where we will be globally competitive for a really long time. Amen. What a great way to finish this conversation. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jakob, for being with us, for sharing uh, so much depth from, from directly from the kitchen, so to say, from the Balkan yes. kitchen. <laughs> and uh, for those of you who are listening now, you know where to go to check out the opportunities, perhaps become a volunteer, come for a month or get involved in any other way with uh, the ecosystem here. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode, episode 79, meaning there are 78 more episodes you can listen to if you subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or any other platform. We'll keep on bringing you impactful, caring leaders. So hope you enjoyed this episode and see you again at the next episode of The Leaders Who Care. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Find out more about the leaders who care across the main social media channels and help us spread the care culture in your own community, first by taking care of yourself and then of others around you. It all starts with one person, one act of kindness. What is one thing you can do today to make your environment better? Stay inspired and stay caring. See you next time.